peace is not a subject that we're going to be talking about tonight. But peace is actually a reality that God wants us to know and experience right here, right now, at the 6 p.m. service here at Midtown. But I want to give a shout out to all the fathers here tonight. So give it up for fathers. Oh, that's weak. That's weak. (laughs) Everybody must be kind of tired from lunch or something. But I'm so grateful that fathers are celebrated along with mothers. Not that just because of my father or grandfather, but I I think it's equal in terms of the the responsibilities and also the, the joy of parenting. Some of you already have the joy of parenting, of having kids. Some of you are waiting and longing to be parents. But also on a day like today, I can't help but think that we also need to give some thoughts about our fathers. Some of you have really good relationships with your father. Some of you, as you think about your relationship, you may be battling with bitterness. Some of you may be grieving the loss of your father on a day like today. Um, I lost my father when I was 28 years old. And some of you may not even know your father. But I want to give you good news that your heavenly father knows you. He knows every aspect of your life. He hears your prayers, but also he loves you deeply. So I want to just encourage you with that. And so I also want to let you know, for me personally, my journey into fatherhood has been really rocky. Weeks before we were getting married, Karen told me, she said, you know what, I just came from the doctor, and he told me that I might have difficulties having babies, and so you don't have to marry me. I looked at her, and I said, of course I'm going to marry you, and we got married 34 years ago. Uh, So we're, we're, we're excited about that. But Three months into marriage, we discovered that we were six weeks pregnant. So who knew, right? We weren't Christians at the time, um, so we didn't give God God praise for that. We just go, what in the world happened? Uh, But we, we are thankful for that. But Ashley was born, and when she was born, the doctors told us that she had a hole in her heart that was supposed to close around the time of birth. And he said that if this hole doesn't close, by the time she turns two years old, they'll have to do surgery. So we have the joy of having our firstborn, and then we get the news of something like a hole in the heart. And so if at that moment, my peace was really disturbed. And so we had no place to turn for peace, given the fact that we didn't know Jesus, but we turned to what we thought was the best medical care and just hoped that the whole hole would close up. So I'll share the rest of the story later, but let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time tonight. Father, thank you so much for this gathering. As we gather in your name, we thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Your spirit is here in our midst, in our souls. And God, I pray in a very real way, pray with confidence that your spirit would make your peace known, that every one of your children here would personally experience and know in a deeper way the peace that comes from you. And I pray also, Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray that through the saving work of Jesus Christ, that those who don't know you might experience peace with God. So God, thank you for this opportunity, and we give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Well, what I want you to do is I want you to look at your bulletin and I want you to look at the very top of your sermon notes. And we're gonna do a little bit uh, bit of an exercise and I want you to just stay with me, okay? Because some of you are averse to things like this. Um, But what I want you to do is I simply want you to mark an X somewhere along this line here that best describes your reality in this season of life. Not necessarily in this moment, but in this season of life. And then I want you to take a look at those six items of under what's disturbing your peace, and I want you to put a one, two, or three under the top three reasons that your peace is being robbed and disturbed. Difficulties, for instance, maybe you're facing some difficult circumstances regarding your job or your finances or maybe maybe work, uh, but discontentment, maybe you, your desires, you're wanting something more than what you already have. Maybe you desire your spouse to change. Maybe you desire a different job. Maybe you desire to be someplace in your life that you thought you would be at this time in your life. Maybe your life is full of distractions. You just can't seem to find peace and quiet, maybe because you have the phone in your hand, or maybe because you live in a chaotic household. Whatever the case may be, you're surrounded by distractions. But then conflict. Conflict's really easy to understand that, and maybe it's with a mother or a father, maybe with a roommate or a friend, or maybe it's with a spouse or one of your kids. Maybe you're battling with confusion and doubt. A lot of times our peace can be robbed when we're having to make a decision, when we're having to just really understand what's going on in life and we're needing to go in a certain direction, or maybe it's disobedience, and it's described here simply as living for yourself. And so Mark, take the time to mark one, two, and three on the top three reasons. And the reason why I'm asking you to do that is not just merely for the purpose of self-awareness, but it's important to be aware of what's actually disturbing your peace because God wants you to be aware of your need for him, but also to be aware that he is the one, the only one who can give you peace. So that self-awareness actually leads to a better awareness, but also a better understanding and experience of your God. But if you admit it, like me, I really do believe that we live in a culture of anxiety. I mean, you just take a listen to your friends. Talk about yourself. Just listen to yourself talk. We we find ourselves restless and often struggling with a lack of peace. And maybe like the disciples with Jesus at the time, Maybe, maybe we're all wondering, is there such a thing as real peace? Is there such a thing as lasting peace? When in John 13, the chapter right before the one we're going to be in today, Jesus just predicted the betrayal by one of his disciples. And in John 13, 21, it says that Jesus was, was sorrowful or troubled in his soul because of the disciple he knew would betray him. In John 14, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure because Jesus knew that he wasn't going to be with them much longer as he was heading to the cross. And I want you to imagine with me what the disciples were actually experiencing during that time. They had been with Jesus for three years or so, and I can imagine as as their master was telling them that he was getting ready to leave them but also going towards death, I'm sure their hearts were troubled. Maybe they were fearful for their own lives. 
worried what they would do next because a lot of them left their livelihood in order to follow Jesus. And I can imagine as they're sitting, listening to Jesus, talking about his departure, um, their life with Jesus is flashing before their eyes because they, they had the privilege of witnessing Jesus doing incredible things. They were able to witness him raising people from the dead, giving sight to the blind, stopping the hemorrhaging of a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. They saw him teaching truths that was unheard of. They saw him casting out demons, but also healing diseases. Jesus was going to be addressing their troubled hearts in this passage. And I want to encourage you as we get into this passage tonight, hear it for yourself, because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're one of his disciples as well. So if you would, please stand with me as we read the word of God, starting with verse 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you will be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. I think all of us agree that there is such a thing as peace, but you're going to have a hard time agreeing on a definition. I certainly had a hard time finding a definition. Why? Because there's so many realms of peace that we can experience and, and talk about, such as world peace, inner peace, relational peace, peaceful surroundings, a piece of pie. Okay, you're still awake. Okay, got it. Things like tranquility, serenity, harmony, having a sense of completeness. The list goes on. Well, let's take a look at a couple of quotes that convey the breadth of how the culture understands peace. Peace does not mean an absence of conflict. Differences will always be there. Peace means solving these differences through peaceful means, through dialogue, education, knowledge, and through humane ways. Another quote, peace is the beauty of life. It is sunshine. It is the smile of a child, the love of a mother, the joy of a father, the togetherness of a family. It is the advancement of man, the victory of a just cause, the triumph of truth. But here's a question for all of us to consider. Why is it that peace is something that every man and woman around the globe desires, whether they call it peace or not? And the answer is really simple. It's because every man and woman 
was created to know and experience peace. Our desires run deep because God created you to know him and to know peace. But like love and joy, peace can seem like a mirage. As you see it from a distance, it looks really real. As you move closer towards it, it may dissipate and you find yourself grasping. Why is that? Because the world is full of brokenness everywhere, all around you, and even within you. But peace can seem just out of reach. And when that's the case, life can sometimes feel cruel. Well, for me, what tends to disturb my peace is tax time. Not because I get a tax refund, but because I got to write a check. And so I find myself in June saying, oh, I've got some breathing room now and some money's starting to come back up after uh, a big depletion. But just this week, there's a number of things that happened that impacted my financial peace. My mailbox fell down and I had to get it replaced. My car battery died. I went to Lucky's and I came back out with all my groceries and the car wouldn't start. And then I took it and they said, your battery's dead. So I had to pay money for a battery. I woke up yesterday thinking, I got a brand new battery. I can drive my car. I drove my car. As soon as I got down the driveway, the check engine light comes on and other yellow lights came on and I couldn't drive faster than five miles per hour. So, whoa, that's going to cost some money. But two months ago, I had a clearing in my schedule and I thought I was going to have some time, some peace and quiet in, in my life. But as that week began, I ended up experiencing a bulging disc, which had me laid up in bed flat for four days in a row. I could not even sit in a chair for longer than five minutes. So much for my peaceful weekend off. So that's, if we were to go around the room, you'd be able to share similar stories, right? Where you're looking forward to peace. Worst case that we might hear is that you just haven't experienced or just found the peace that you've been longing for. Best case, you could give examples of experiencing peace, but then you would say it was only momentary. So what is it that peace is all about? What is the nature of peace? Given our limited time, we're going to focus on the peace that will last. And if you look at your bulletin, it's going to be peace that endures even in the midst of your difficult circumstances, even if they don't change. Even if your desires that you think will give you peace never come about, even if you're still surrounded by a lot of distractions, you can still have peace. Even if the person with whom you have conflict with never confesses of doing anything wrong, and even if you still battle with doubt, there's a peace that can endure all of that. But what kind of peace can endure even your deepest pain and most difficult struggles? It's the peace of God. But what is this peace all about? Well, first of all, let me just share that the peace of God is not the absence of trouble around you or in you. Let me give you a working definition of God's peace. I'm suggesting that it's the comfort of God through the presence of God that gives confidence to follow Christ. This definition is rooted in 2 Corinthians 1, 
where it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. All of our troubles beyond what's on this list here. So again, God's peace is the comfort of God through the presence of God that gives confidence to follow Christ. And so the sermon series is about the fruit of the Spirit and the life of Christ. So we got to ask the question, what does this peace look like in the life of Christ? And we're just going to go to the most extreme example right before he gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden, he is... He is so troubled that the scriptures say that his, he's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death and he's sweating drops of blood. He's so distressed and in anguish. But in that moment, I'm gonna to suggest to you that Jesus was experiencing the comfort of the Father through the presence of the Spirit. And he felt the nearness of God in that, in that garden so much so that he prayed, Father, if you don't take this cup away from me, then your will be done, not my will. He prayed that three times, three times. And so the father comforted his son, made his son know that he was not alone and gave the son confidence to do the will of the father. So the peace of God sustained Jesus in his deep distress, empowering him to press on and to do the will of the Father. But as you see in your notes, there's a progression for peace. And so it starts with having peace with God. There's no way that you can have peace, that you can experience the peace of God without having peace with God. And the good news is that Jesus Christ is the way to having peace with God. Let's read Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So once you have peace with God through the objective reality of the saving work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, you can know and experience the subjective reality of the peace of God. God doesn't want you to experience peace for just a moment. He wants you to experience peace for a lifetime. And why can we say that? Because he's our peace. And he wants to experience, he wants us to experience him not just for a moment, but for every moment of each day, every year of our lives. Well, let me finish the rest of the story. Ashley's hole in her heart closed up before she turned one. And so we were very thankful and at peace that our little girl didn't need surgery. When she turned four years old, she came home from a 4K program at a church, and she asked one day, who is Jesus who all my friends keep talking about? And so remember, we're not Christians at this time, and a little girl came home and asked this question. So God used the words from a child we never expected to have to ask the question I never expected to hear resulting in a peace I never expected to know or experience at the age of 28 when God saved me by his grace. So we're very thankful for our little girl and all of our kids. Um, she claims credit for our salvation. They said, no, that's not, that's not right theology. Um, 
And so it's a sweet banter between us. But here's something to consider. As you look at that progression, you start off with a peace with God possible only through the saving work of Jesus Christ. And then once you have peace with God, you now have the ability to experience personally and subjectively the peace of God. But God doesn't want you to stop there. He says, take my peace that I give to you and give it to others. And so that leads to peace with others as well. But you know as well as I do that such peace with others doesn't come naturally. And that, that's the reason why God commands us over and over and over in scriptures to pursue peace with one another. Let's read from Hebrews 12. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Have you ever wondered why you don't experience peace in your soul when you're not at peace with somebody in your life? It's no coincidence. God not only created you to have peace with God, but he also created you and me to have peace with those around us. God has three, God's peace has three aspects that we're going to take a look at from verse 27. So let's read verse 27 right now. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Remember, he's saying this to his disciples, right? And so imagine, given the troubles of their hearts, given about their worry about what's going to happen next, Jesus is speaking directly into their reality. But he is also with us. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So the first aspect of peace that Jesus gives to us is a present peace. Notice that Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. We probably could spend an entire year or the rest of our lives chewing on this passage right here. But I don't want us to miss, it, miss this simple yet significant truth. The peace that we desperately need, that we were created to know and to experience, doesn't come from within you, nor does it come from around you, your surroundings. This peace doesn't come from changing circumstances or more money or more Bible knowledge or more days off. The peace that we desperately need, okay, hear this, the peace that we desperately need is a gift to be received and not achieved. There's no way that we can achieve this kind of peace through grit and white-knuckling it, through our scheming, through our manipulation. But it's Jesus who gives us his peace. He says, my peace. So how does Jesus give you his peace? But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit in you is Jesus' very real presence in his absence. The Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. And as you see in this passage, it tells us that the Spirit of truth teaches us all things and reminds us all things that we need, especially when we don't have peace, specifically reminding us of what Jesus said to his disciples 2,000 years ago 
and he's saying to each one of you today, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So God's peace is not only present all the time, but it's also intimate. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Okay, here's the next part. I do not give to you as the world gives. So let's take a look at that. Back in the days of of Jesus, the peace in Rome was achieved by the sword. Peace through violence. This is why the Jewish people thought the Messiah would come with a larger sword. Instead, what did Jesus do? He came as a suffering servant and actually laid down his life so that we could have life and deep, unshakable peace that only God can give. But what makes this peace that Jesus gives so different from that of the world? Let's read more. Because I live, says Jesus, you also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And we will come to you and make our home with you. The world offers peace treaties between warring nations, offering inner peace through various spiritual disciplines, offers peace of mind with good retirement strategies. But all of these forms of peace are merely temporary and they vanish immediately with the first shot that's fired, with the demands of life skyrocketing again, and when the stock market crashes. And so Jesus does not give peace as the world gives peace because Jesus' peace is not only everlasting, but Jesus' peace is actually in you and with you. And there's no way that the world can offer such a peace, such an intimate peace. In John 15, Jesus describes this intimate relationship with us through a metaphor where he describes himself as the vine and we as his people as the branches. And he goes on to teach that there's no way that the vine, uh, the branch can bear fruit apart from the vine. That holds true for us as well. There's no way that we can bear the fruit of the Spirit apart from Jesus. And so that's why Jesus brought us into this intimate union with himself. And that's what, that's what is called union with Christ. But let's take a look at this passage one more time. And as I do, I want you to see God's presence in your, in your life and his intimate relationship with you and that he is the God of peace. So therefore, he gives peace in a way that the world cannot give. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. We will come to you and make our home with you. God is saying, look at me. Listen to what I'm saying to you. My peace is real, not a mirage. And I'm here to give you my peace. And so take your eyes and look up and see me through my word. Listen to what I'm saying to you and be aware of how my spirit is teaching you and reminding you of all that I said. God's present and intimate peace is also a loving peace. 
Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. This is really straight teaching here. So we're gonna take it really slow. Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And to put it another way, what Jesus is saying is that your words are cheap, but I need to see your actions. Just don't tell me you love me, obey me. But look at what Jesus promises. The one who loves me by obeying me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus gives you peace that promises the love of the father and son. So why would not we not obey him when his love from the father and from the son is promised? Let me pause and make this point very clear for all of us. So I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you. You will never experience peace in your disobedience, period. If you are considering that you'll be happier by leaving your spouse, you're not gonna have peace in your disobedience. If you yell at your kids to be quiet so you can get some peace and quiet, you're, you're not gonna have peace in your disobedience. If you slander a friend to make you feel better about yourself, you're not gonna have peace in your disobedience. But what I want you to, to know is that Jesus is not saying that you must obey me in order for me to love you. He's not saying that. So I can't have you leave here with that misunderstanding because the gospel is clear that God loved us first before we loved him. So that has to be remembered. What Jesus is saying is that as you love him by obeying him, you will know and experience the love of God more and more. And this is why this is important in our time and talking about peace and also in knowing and experience peace. You may wanna write this down. The peace of God flows from the love of God. The peace of God flows from the love of God. Let me give you an image that the love of God displaces or pushes out or casts out fear in a way that makes room for peace. Let's take a look at the scriptures from 1 John 4 that explains this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So here's a, here's a time of reflection. Do you lack peace because of your disobedience? It's a question that I have to ask myself on a daily basis. Are your private sins, which by the way are public before God, is it causing disorder in your soul? Is your rebellion causing confusion, blurring the lines between true and false, right and wrong, good and evil? But here's the good news. Your God knows everything about you. He knew every day of your life before you were even born. And so he's not put off by your disobedience, even though he wants you to obey him. Instead, he says, in your disobedience, turn back to me. Turn back to me, look to me, trust me, follow me, 
and I will abundantly pardon you and lavish my compassion over you. That's the kind of God that we have. So why wouldn't we do that? Some of you right now may be pushing back. You might, have, you might be saying to yourself, I, I cried out to God. I try to read and pray, but I'm still anxious and afraid and I don't have peace. You might say, you might, you, might, you might use your fingers to go, number one, God doesn't seem present to me. Number two, I don't experience the intimacy that you're talking about. Number three, I don't ex- experience his love, let alone his peace. Well, let's look at John 14, 30, because it's going to clue us into this battle that's going on against our peace. Jesus says, the prince of this world is coming. So brothers and sisters, the prince of this world is here. And so the enemy wants to convince you that there is no peace. The enemy wants to convince you that there is no God of peace. But let's take a look at a very important passage from Isaiah 9 that reminds us that we have a more powerful prince who is ruling and reigning in your heart and soul. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace is stronger and greater than the Prince of this world. So therefore, you can know and experience the peace of God because of your knowing the Prince of Peace. But here's something else for you to consider, and this is very important. Do you spend your time when you lack peace? Do you spend time asking God to give you peace by taking away your circumstances or changing your circumstances or by giving you what you think you need that will give you peace? If that's the case, if that's your approach, then more than likely you haven't experienced that peace. God doesn't give us peace by changing our circumstances or giving us what we think we need. Rather, he gives us what he knows we need, and that is himself, who is the God of peace. So how can we know and experience this peace of God? And we're going to turn to Philippians 4 and take a look at three steps to the path of peace. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is God's promise to you. God is true to his word. God just doesn't dangle something in front of you just to change your behavior. But God says, as you come to me, as you come wholeheartedly to me in prayer, bringing all the weight of the worlds to me, approaching my throne of grace with confidence and boldness, I'm gonna guard your hearts with the peace of God that transcends all understanding. So prayer is a primary way in which we can draw near to God and experience peace. But notice what comes first, he says, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice. Why in the world would he start this passage out by saying rejoice? 
Well, put it within the context of a lack of peace. When we're struggling with a lack of peace, where is our gaze typically fixed upon? It's on the things and the people that we think is robbing us of peace. And there's no way that we can rejoice in God without looking to God and reminding him why we can rejoice even in the midst of our circumstances. So God is saying, look at me. As you experience my presence, as you approach me through prayer, the peace of God will guard your heart by enabling you to trust in my promises that I've made to you through Jesus Christ as you live in the power of God. But the second step is to listen to God speak through his word. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, I think I was going to a dance there. That's a lot, isn't it? If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So here's a secret for all of us, which is no secret at all. If you keep thinking about whatever is robbing you of peace, you will never experience peace. So God is saying, think about me. Think about my reality. Think about me, the God of peace. Instead, listen to me. Instead of listening to all the things that are rattling around your head or things that you're hearing from the world that's suggesting ways of peace, listen to God speak to you through his word as the spirit of truth will teach you and remind you that God is in control. God is your strength and God is your comfort. God is speaking to you and he's saying to you, I'm your love, I'm your joy, and I'm your peace. Because he wants you to know and experience him as the God of peace. Well, the last thing that we can learn from this passage is to live out God's word. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Another promise. Breaking this down, he's basically saying, if you obey all that Jesus has commanded you, I will give you peace and the God of peace will be with you. I wanted to give you an illustration of of this, this presence the why is this so important for the fact that the God of peace will be with you? Um, it's so amazing to watch my little granddaughter learn how to walk. And, um, you know, she can see that she's proud of herself as she's getting herself off the floor and she's taking a stance to go vertical. But you can see that she's lacking confidence because she doesn't know quite what to do. And then if she doesn't see anybody around her, she's hesitant. She, not, she doesn't want to take a step right? But what I've seen as she's grown stronger and getting more developed, she, as she sees her mother or her father just within a hand's grasp away, she actually grows in freedom, less fear, more confident to take steps. And so this is exactly applies to us as well, that God wants you to be confident in him reminding you that he's with you so you can live with freedom and confidence even in the midst of the circumstances that's robbing you of peace. But trusting God, trust that God is near, trust that God hears your prayers, trust that the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. God only 
God not only calls you to trust him, but he also calls you to obey him. Obeying God requires trusting God. But as you obey God, the God of peace will be with you. So we just covered peace. I want you to walk away believing that the peace of God and the God of peace is not a mirage. In fact, the closer you approach your God of peace, the more real he becomes. And when you flee into his arms, he's not going to disappear on you. In fact, he's going to seem more real than ever. And you're going to be able to experience true and lasting peace within your soul. Not because you're good enough or you've done enough, but because he loves you and he wants you to experience that. And so every week we get the privilege of remembering what Jesus has done on our behalf so that we might have first peace with God, but also to know and experience um, peace of God and have peace with one another. And so on a night before he was betrayed, he, he took the bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after dinner, he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of my blood that establishes a new covenant. Whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. So each week, whenever we take the bread and drink the cup, well, not you don't drink the cup here. You dip it in the cup. I didn't want to confuse you for some people with different traditions. Um, but we, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you're not a Christian, if you don't have peace with God, then I ask you just to keep your seats and cry out to God and ask him to let you know um, how that you can have his peace. And I can tell you, just ask for Jesus, for Jesus to give you that peace that comes only through him. But if you're a Christian, if you're already a fam part of the family of God, I want you to consider what is keeping your soul restless. I want you to take some time and actually prepare yourself for communion. Cry out to God. You may have to confess to God, but know that he forgives you and he desires to give you that peace that we all long for. At Sojourn, we have stations up front for the first half of the room, stations in the back for the back half of the room, and a gluten-free station to my left, your right. And the practice here is to tear off a piece of the bread dip it in the wine or the juice, whatever your conscience permits, and the wine is marked with twine. So prepare your hearts, and as you walk and take communion, rejoice in knowing that you live in an intimate relationship with the Prince of Peace. Let's pray.